Red Kite Prayer is hosting its first ever event October 12th through 14th, 2018, the Red Kite Rendezvous. The two and a half day event will feature bikes from some of the industry's top frame builders, two gravel rides, some of the world's finest craft beers, which are brewed locally, plus enough food to make the pedaling fun. For more information or to register, go to redkiteprayer.com backslash store. The Pull is brought to you by the North American Handmade Bicycle Show, the world's premier annual gathering of bicycle frame builders and frame building enthusiasts. The 2019 show will take place March 15th to 17th at the Sacramento Convention Center in Sacramento, California. We hope to see you there. From Red Kite Prayer, I'm Patrick Brady with The Pull. On this week's show, my guest is Eric Noren, the builder and proprietor behind the Minneapolis-based Peacock Groove. Among the many builders I've interviewed in my career, I can say that Eric Noren is truly unique. In a room full of unusual cats, he still manages to stand alone. This episode and the next, because honestly, the conversation was that long and too interesting to chop into a half hour, are going to be unlike anything I've produced previously. Part of that is Noren's fairly colorful use of language. He drops F-bombs in this interview like flakes of snow in a winter storm. Fortunately, iTunes does have an explicit setting. So if you're offended by coarse language, maybe drop back by two weeks from now. Noren's mantra for Peacock Groove is deep custom. By that, he means more than just designing a bike that fits you and handles the way you want, more than picking the perfect tube set. He is referring to his preference for creating a bike that speaks to your passions, and that very often leads him to build theme bikes. It takes a different sort of builder to dig such a rabbit hole. And Norn is just that guy. He himself is as unfiltered as his language, and that makes this particular interview unusually revealing. I've never had builders open up to this degree. Not all of this interview is easy to listen to. He talks about some difficult issues, including depression and child molestation. Because our interview went on for nearly two and a half hours, and because I could find so little in it that wasn't interesting, I've cut the interview into two episodes. Not only that, there were elements of our conversation prior to the official start of the interview that were just too good to leave on the metaphoric cutting room floor. With his blessing, I've pulled some of those moments out to share with you. You'll hear Noren refer to some other builders during this interview, and he was speaking so quickly, I didn't have a chance to step in and clarify each of those references. He mentions Sasha White of Vanilla, the recently deceased Dario Pegoretti, and Shinichi Kono of the brand Cherubim, one of the best respected builders in Japan. So Eric Noren, thank you for joining me on the poll. Man, how are you? Uh, you know, I've been better, but I've been worse. So, you know, I guess I just better walk the fence a little bit and see which side I fall on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, you mentioned that you've had some health issues. You're getting past that now? 
Yeah, in February I was out for the whole month because I apparently had the flu. And uh, if that was the flu, then I can guarantee you that I've never had the flu before. But when I say a full month, I mean, I believe I got sick on the 3rd, and I was out. And when I finally felt strong enough on, like, February 24th, I decided to go down to the shop. Like, I'll try and do something. And I got down there. I picked up a broom and swept and then, like, sat down. And, you know, I was heavy breathing. I was like, um, it'll be a few more days yet. And so that, I mean, that hurt. It hurt me a lot business-wise. I'm still feeling the the ripples of it, but, you know, when you're self-employed and you miss a month, it's not just one month. It's a month of work. It's a month of incoming work, and it's a month of outgoing work. So technically it's three months. So I got kind of, you know, I got fucked, but I'm working through it. Um, Well, let's see. Now, why don't we tell people where you are since, uh, you know, builders are always a part of their community. Um, Just where are you located? I am located in South Minneapolis at the corner of 27th Avenue South and 27th Avenue or East 27th Street. 27th, 27th, right off the Midway Greenway Trail by the Hexagon Bar in the heart of South Minneapolis. And uh, usually if I'm sitting outside, somebody will, hey, Peacock, or hey, Groove. And that's it's kind of cool and kind of weird at the same time because sometimes you go to like see a movie and people are like, dude, I love your tractor bike. And they're like whispering <laughs> to you really weird. And it's like, I bet you have a windowless van outside, don't you? Creepy. <laughs> let me go Let me go watch Infinity War by myself, you know? So it's, it's nice. And I love Minneapolis. It's, uh, you know, I've been around a little bit now, but uh, Minneapolis, it's always good to come home to Minneapolis. I like yeah. it. Uh, are you a native? I Well, technically I grew up in St. Paul. But seeing that, you know, pretty much only a bridge divided me and Minneapolis. Um, I can definitely say that I've spent more time in Minneapolis than St. Paul now, but I do live in St. Paul. But as far as I'm concerned, the Twin Cities is St. Paul, Minneapolis, and that's kind of like the vibe. Like, St. Paul is like where you're at when you're like 40, when you want to go home and it, you want it to be quiet. And Minneapolis is like your friend's house where you can know you can like probably vomit in the bathroom after a night of stupidity, <laughs> and it's okay. But St. Paul's where you go home to to be quiet. So, you know, I, I have my... My feet and both of my feet are in the water. One's just a little bit deeper. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think I do follow you. Yeah. <laughs> Cold down there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So on to building. Now, you got your start at Kroll, uh, a manufacturer, unfortunately, folded in 2001. The legend that I've heard, and I've never had a chance to talk to you directly about this, but uh, certain other people who know you have told me that you got hired to be a welder at Kroll, but you didn't really know how to TIG weld just yet, which is a bit like when I got hired as a bike mechanic uh, back in the (laughs) 1980s. So first up... Fake news, fake news, (laughs) totally knew how to weld. No, um, that's true. Basically, I took a... Structural and manu- structural mechanical welding course at the St. Paul TBI. And basically, we all took it because we got out of school earlier. <laughs> you know, because we're like, fuck that. We can go <laughs> weld and not be at school. <laughs> so, me where's the downside? So, I went, I caught myself on fire. I got my degree from there or whatever. And it says that I can, like, you know, stick weld, which pretty much, you know, anybody can. But uh, what it was, I was working at St. Paul Malt Shop and I was riding bikes. My buddy Dave. He, he introduced me to the world of bikes, and I was like, wow, this is fun. 
but I've never liked team sports. I, I could never play football. wasn't big enough. I hated baseball because you just sat around and spat on each other's shoes, you know. And it's just team sports weren't my thing. I wasn't uh-huh. athletic, but like cycling gave me an out. So what happened was Dave got a job at Kroll, and he's like, "Dude, you got to go apply down there. It's awesome. You know how to weld." And I was like, "Why does everybody think I know how to fucking weld? I don't." So I go down there. I get interviewed, and they're like, so you know how to weld? And I was like, oh, yeah, I know how to weld. What's a TVI? You know, and I was like, oh, boy, you just uh, you just set up a paint, you know, fence you don't have enough paint for. And I was like, oh, shit. So they're like, okay, well, we'll hire you. Can you start tomorrow? No, I can't start tomorrow. I work at the mall shop. I got to give them two weeks. I can't be a jerk. I'm like, really? And I'm like, yeah, really? You know, like, I'm trying to portray integrity here. You know, let me follow through with it. Besides, it's two weeks. Hold on. So I remember when I got, you know, I went and I bought a mask and some gloves and shit. And like, this was before YouTube and Google and all this shit. So I talked to a couple people and like, yeah, it's really easy. It's like holding with two pencils and drawing. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm one handed specifically. But the first day down there, Walter showed me some stuff and, uh, he said, all right, watch up. This is what we're going to do. And then we'll just let you practice for a week or two maybe. And then we'll put you on bikes. And I was like, Oh, watch what he's doing. Like really pay attention, Eric. Don't fuck this up. And I did. And I got like a solid week and a half of practice in. And what made me good is I learned right away on the thin stuff. And mm-hmm. that's like, I mean, that's the hard stuff. So, you know, I'd like to think that, yeah, I did lie my way in, but, uh, I was fairly creative enough to save it. And I welded, quite a lot of bikes. My, my welds aren't always as pretty as, you know, like Eric Barr, the Salvo. I mean, those guys, those guys are fucking masters, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I like to think that in a pinch, I'm used to, you know, if something goes wrong, I can make things that go wrong, go right. I do a lot of things that other people might not have the skill for or up for the challenge. And, you know, I'm trying to refine my craft. Uh, Eric Barr stopped by just this week and he gave me some tips and, you know, it, it changed my, my welding ability by like, I'd say 2%, but that 2% is a lot. Yeah. Once you're as accomplished as you are, finding those opportunities for improvement can be tough, you know? Uh, A long time ago, I didn't want to listen to anybody. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm so fucking good. I'm so good. What are you going to teach me? And an instance happened that I won't go into where I was, I was more than humbled. You know, it's like when you think you're good at karate and then some little kid punches you and you're like, fuck, I suck. You know, this is terrible. (laughs) So then you either grow up and change. And I adopted the whole, like, you know, a true Kung Fu, you know, spiritual wonder. I will learn from anyone and everyone I can to better the craft, to make it better because that's my journey. That's what I need to do. I need to make, the best bikes I can make, not necessarily the best bikes, but the best bikes I can make. I owe that to the craft and I owe that to the, to the passion and the following of it. It Well, it speaks to integrity. Well, let's not give me too much credit here. I'm just, (laughs) I'm just trying to get better. (laughs) So, uh, okay. How many years were you at Kroll? I worked for Walter for, I think, just under two years, and for Frank Amore, when he bought Kroll, I think for seven. I okay. don't honestly. It sounds crazy, but I don't even know. And I'm mad at myself that I never took a better uh, observation, visually or written wise, of "quote unquote" my career. But I know I built a lot of bikes and worked for free a lot. I know that because I, I well, I lived it, Dottie. I lived it, Dottie. 
you know? Yeah, so yeah. It's, um, but yeah, so you I had a say, bunch of years of experience before they folded and you launched Peacock Groove. Yeah, it. I lasted six months after it folded. A friend of mine was like, hey, I got this really cool space. It's on the seventh level of a building. You want to build bikes there? And I was like, it'll probably be shitty. And I went there and it was the best kind of shitty ever. So um, I moved in and my rent was a whole $130 a month for my section. And boy, those were the days. When you did decide to launch Peacock Groove, you know, was there a particular ethos that you had in mind for what you wanted your bikes to be? I was a fan of comic books and the way that I would read them and not collect them. And I worked at a comic book store for a while and I had this comic book story in my head. And this is like, this is the actual kind of half truth of how Peacock Group came around. And the whole storyline revolved around this uh, set of Italian fraternal twins who were always too good to be at the big battle or save the earth. They were, you know, too busy. They were too proud. And the whole story arc eventually humbled them and they came out to be, you know, true heroes. And that plays a lot in my philosophy of what this bike should be because in my life I have dealt with a lot of people who've dealt with shitheads and they come to me and, and like, I have to somehow make that right. And sometimes I've been the shithead, keep that in mind. But um, when I thought of like bikes and how to name them and the, the, the set of uh, fraternal Italian twins, they called themselves Peacock Group because they were too good and beautiful to do anything. You know, and that was why people called them Peacock Group, because they were like a peacock and they just walked around. Well, at the time, you know, you'd look back on Hallmark brands, Ibis, Kestrel, uh, Osprey. And all, it's, it's funny in Heron, all these birds, you know, are gen, you know all yep. these bikes are named after birds of prey. And I always thought, that's too attacky. It goes back to, like, team sports mentality for me. Like, you know, like, you know, like, we're the... Denver Bulldogs were going to fuck you up. Like I never liked that. You know, it just, it didn't resonate with me. Maybe because I was such a small kid and constantly picked on, but I was like, Peacock Groove, man. Peacock's out there. He's in his field. He's displaying. He's beautiful. Motherfuckers iridescent as shit. Hanging on a fence. Yeah. You might go to the farm and see a lot of shit, but you know what you're going to remember? You're going to remember how that Peacock was grooving. And I was like, Peacock Groove. Yep. It's right. That's right. It, it just, it's right for a bike brand. The logo hit me. It was it was really weird how like it just kind of celestially fell in my head, and I was like, "This must happen." And so I went and I, I registered the name or something like that, and um, it just stood out to me because I'm still a bird. I still fit. I still think I'd like to fit in with you know these other brands and bikes and builders, but at the same time I don't. And I've been told through the years that you know I've been called and. Uh, uh, someone said to me once, I can't remember exactly the wording, but they said that I was a catastrophe to the scene. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, but you remember it, won't you? You know, you don't want to look at that car crash, but you look at it, you slow down and you look at it. And, you know, if that's the reaction that I get, you know, I don't intend to do it. I've only intended to do it once and it backfired on me. Everybody liked the bike. So <laughs> it's, um, it has to stand out. I mean, people are buying eight, 10, 12, $15,000 bicycles. Mm -hmm. Like if a mainstream person sees that they better think it's cool. Cause they're not going to care about hand carved lugs and shit like that until you point it out. But if you have like, you know, oh, I don't know, lightning bolts painted on it or gold glitter or a pinup model painted on it, it's going to cause them to think about it and remember it. And you For know, sure. I don't have to impress the people in the bike scene. I kind of don't care. It's like me telling you that riding a bike to work is beneficial. We know that. 
Let's get the redneck who hates us and wants to run us over. Let's make him change his mind. That's the important person to win over. Not the people, you know, I don't live in an echo chamber. I live in a, I don't know. I, I live in Community? a, I get yelled at a lot chamber, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you like those bicycles. You have that truck. And it's like, yeah, I, I like a lot of things. So, <laughs> so more you know. specifically, um, did you, when you set out to, to launch Peacock Groove, I mean, were you thinking more mountain bikes, road bikes, fat bikes? What was there anything that you were thinking, oh, I'm going to lean this way? Or was it like, just let me at it? I mountain bikes are my heart and how I fell into this. And I like mountain and cross specifically. And I wasn't really into road bikes yet, but it all came down to like, I just wanted to make bikes and kind of honestly, I wanted to make bikes for myself because I wanted to do things that I wanted to see, you know, like my problem was mm -hmm. I called a couple of builders like, Hey, would you do this? And would you carve in a, a set of uh, a set of a deck of cards into a disc brake mount? And the answer was fuck no. And I'm like, Oh, so I was like, well, I guess I have to start my own company, you know, cause no one else is going to do what I want. <laughs> and so, you know, I kind of did and it, I just, I had to do it to make what I want. And I started it not thinking it would become a business or quote unquote successful. I was just like, you know, fuck it. I, I know how to do this. Um, I just need to buy some equipment. I got a place to rent. And then some people found out and they're like, will you build me a bike? I'm like, will you pay? And they're like, well, how much you charge? And, and you know, we just started making bikes here and there. And then I had to like actually incorporate and pay taxes and stuff. And it became terrible, but, you know, here we are, you know, like mm -hmm. nobody ever talks about the business side of this business side is no bueno. It is no fun. But if you are not prepared for that, you will suffer greatly. One of the awards that the North American handmade bicycle show often presents is for best theme bike. I've told show director Don Walker that the award is pointless because you are literally the only guy who really gets the award. It's an award made for you. In broad <laughs> strokes, talk about the Evil Dead bike. And then when you're finished with that one, talk about the Highlander bike. I made the Evil Dead bike for, for two, two specific reasons. If you haven't seen the Evil Dead, I suggest you go see it. And it'll, you'll either love it or it'll kind of offend you. And like, <laughs> like my job is not to police if I'm going to offend you or not. Like, if you're offended by me or what I say or something you're watching then turn it fucking off. You know, like you don't have to participate in it. I've mm -hmm. had people tell me they don't like my work to me, not knowing it was me. And it is the funniest thing to see when you, when they see your name taken like, Oh, and I was like, Oh, does now does your opinion change? And that has a point in the story. I made the evil dead bike for two reasons. I'll tell you the terrible one first, the year before <laughs> okay, please I do. made a bike that, that caused everybody to shit the bed apparently. And uh, they started petition on the Serata form. And I don't say rest in peace, Serata form, burn in hell. A um, lot of opinions in there, a lot of know-it-alls. But they started petitioning to get me kicked out. I got kicked out of the show. I came back. I got fired from my job of 11 years. I got hate mail. I literally got hate mail over a bicycle. I need to jump in here and describe this bike briefly. It was an homage to the Guns N' Roses album, Appetite for Destruction. The bike was a track bike with a deep section front wheel with Appetite for Destruction painted on it, as well as Peacock Groove 
forever. The rear wheel was a disc and had the album's inner cover, which was a painting by underground artist Robert Williams. It depicts a robot having raped a woman and an otherworldly monster coming to the woman's rescue and on the verge of destroying the robot. The work does not fail to stir strong reactions. Noren's bike also had a painting of a pinup girl on the down tube. I don't, I don't like talking about because everyone tells me that I'm wrong. And I'm like, look, and I'll say it here unequivocally. If Dario Pegaretti did it, everyone would uh, say that what a true bold artist, but it was some little chubby guy from Minnesota and they didn't hear of me. So they had to hate it. I'm like, here's what's funny. The Japanese loved it. Dario Pegaretti loved it. He saw it. Um, people came in and like, wow, that's, that's something different. You know? And I'm like, yup, sure is uh whatever. And the reason why I did it is, um, I'll go in there now just and I'll say it. But uh, yeah, we had a, a person who molested me and a couple other people that I know. And he wore a particularly brown jacket. And when I saw this artwork, I saw the bad guy getting killed in the brown jacket. And so basically, if you're a child molester, you can just go fucking die. That's how I feel. Because that guy stole a lot from my life and a lot from my family's life. And I have no fucking pity. So I made that bike for me. That was me. That was mine. That was my therapy. But everybody judged me by it. They hated me. They called me fat and despicable. One person called me a disgusting fat man. And when I looked at her and she saw my name tag, I said, I'm not that disgusting. And she stormed off with her high moral, you know, stance. And it was funny because, like, the only person who asked me about that was a wonderful young lady. And she asked me. And uh, she was black. She probably still is black. But she comes in and she pointed to this. She said, why couldn't that have been a sister? And I, I told her, geez, you wanted it to be a hate crime, too. And we laughed and she asked me, no, really, why'd you do that? So here's what's funny. The most underrepresented person at a bike show came and actually is the only person to treat me like an adult and have a conversation about it. Hats off to her. She cried. I cried a little bit and she left. Now, here's what's funny. I come back. I lose my job of 11 years. I was going to quit building. I had my machines earmarked. And my world crumbled around me. I got hate mail. People called me. I said, what the fuck were you thinking? And I was like, I don't know. I thought it was cool artwork, you know. I was told that I used artwork inappropriately. Ugh. You know, everything was thrown at me. And I went through this terrible, terrible bout of depression and, you know, drinking and not working and not doing anything. And I didn't have any money. And I just fucked around. And then I said, okay, they want despicable. They want offensive. I'll show them offensive. And I said to my painter, I said, get ready. You're going to paint an evil dead bike. I'm going to make this bike. It's going to be gorgeous. And we're going to paint the scene of when he cuts his hands off with his chainsaw and says, who's laughing now? We're going to paint that on a wheel. And my painter, what the fuck are you talking about? I said, no, (laughs) exactly that. Like that's what we're going to paint on there. And, And we did. And so I bring this bike to the bike show and like Sanichi, from Cherubim came in and he, he was just flabbergasted by it. So was Kiego. Uh, some Germans came over and they're like, holy shit, what is this? And I'm like, oh, it's, it's a, I guess a tribute bike or whatever. Well, anyways, you know, I made it and one person didn't like it. Um, it was a, it was a judge actually. He shook his head at me and walked away and I was like, ah, oh, damn it. You know, but for the majority of it, everyone loved it. And I was like, no, <laughs> you're not supposed to like this. This is supposed to offend you. You should not like this, you know? And I was like, I thought that I made a true, I'm looking at it right now as we speak, but I'm like, 
I thought that I was making something that was offensive and yet it was very well received. And so it just goes to show you that like, you know, there are things that are offensive and there are things that, you know, people think are cool. You know, like mm-hmm. I don't like Fox body Mustangs. I think they're the worst fucking car ever made. They're ugly, but some people really like them. So whatever. So as Dalton would say, opinions vary. So I made that in kind of retaliation and, and anger because I guarantee you, I guarantee you if Pegoretti did it, everybody would shit to bed and love it. But I'm an unknown, you know, and that's fine. But um, that bike helped me through some terrible thoughts and, and people still hate me for it. It's still told not to be talked about. I, I kind of hate <laughs> talking about it because I don't want to be known for like one thing, you know, but that's kind of how I feel about super custom bikes is that they should tell a story. They should reflect something as minor details as you can get. Mm-hmm. Maybe that only means something between the builder and the purchaser. Right. You know, and that's the thing about your work that I find so interesting that it is this collaborative process in a way that most bikes, not that, you know, I think I think most custom bikes are a collaborative process, but I think they rarely ever get to the degree of collaboration that you have had with some of your clients. Uh, we haven't talked oh about boy. the Highlander bike yet, so wait, we got We got to do this. We're we're almost out of order here. So Highlander okay. bike. Oh, um, my friend Lauren. Uh, she was like, "I want a bike from you. Yeah, I want to do a theme bike, Dune or Highlander." And I was like, "Fucking Highlander! <laughs> I ain't gonna make no Earth giant Earthworm bike." And don't get me wrong, like <laughs> as far as sci-fi goes. I love Dune. Right. Dune is great. Right. Dune is a thinking person sci-fi. You know, you don't need space fights and all that weird shit. You know, it's not Star Wars. This is more Star Trek. You know, it's like more thought-provoking. Instead of pew-pew blasters, I blew up a planet, you know? Right. It's totally like, no, Highlander. Highlander is so much more flashier. And I was like, oh, my God, I have the right fucking tube set. So yep. I told her, I'm going to make a Highlander bike. And the whole theme of it was there can be only one. Meaning, like, if I'm going to make my apotheosis, my grandstand, you know, my middle finger in the middle of a cyclone, it, it's going to be that bike. And I told her that, and I sold it for way too cheap. But I had a set of Columbus MS tubing. If anybody knows what MS is, it stands for multi-shape. And the down tube is a teardrop. The top tube is shaped like a lemon. Uh, it has a tapering seat tube, and it has a oval chainstay and a triangle chainstay and i can't remember which is which because i looked at it for too long but anyways i had a full <laughs> lug set and a full tube set with the exception of seat stays and i designed it and since she, they were so short i had to curve the top tube and here i'm looking at this top tube it's a lemon shaped top tube going how the fuck do i uh how do i curve this you know well i did without wrinkling it's an important without wrinkling no the thing was done perfectly and i won't tell you and i won't tell anyone else how i did it but i did it and that shit you got to earn. And, and that, this statement will come very important in a minute. So I'm making this bike and I curved the top tube so that I could reverse the lugs and they would have the entry points would be perfect. So I took every window out that I could. And this, this tube set has every fucking, Oh my God, it's, it's ridiculous. Just, just look at it. And Chris Bishop is known for working with this. This also plays important. So I make this bike and I enter it in the theme contest. And I had 
the head rims painted to match. They are painted Connor McLeod's uh, actual tartan colors. You wouldn't believe how much information you can find about a fictional character and a fictional movie on Google, but it is out there. <laughs> and we had the two swords hand-painted on the top tube. It says, don't lose your head. There can be only one. Um, you know, a bunch of stuff like that. So I put like 140 hours into this bike. I just went all out. I flipped <sighs> these lugs. I added to them. I welded to them. I sanded them. I cut out windows. I ruined sets of files going through it. And, you know, we did the crazy shaped peacock dropouts. And we made a little 650B off-road single speed. So we took basically a high-end road bike tube set and made it into, you know, a little mountain bike. And we even uh, S-bent the, uh, the chain stays. And that was also hard to do. So I get to the show, and I'm like, this fucking bike's going to win. Like, I've never been that confident before. I was like, this bike is the epitome of what I do. This is the apotheosis. I, I don't think I can eclipse this, you know? I was super proud of it. And I mean, I keep thinking about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. There's that two weeks where I just sent making that fucking, oh, I don't want to think about it. But anyways, <laughs> I get there, and I shit you not, but walking down the hall is a guy from Columbus, Chris Bishop, and a couple other people, and they're like, what bike is this? So I hide with my hands the bottom bracket shell because that's the dead giveaway. Like, you can't. I couldn't show that. So standing around this little chubby Minnesotan guy's booth, you know, that is basically bikes are standing up on pallets. I have no real display. And I have the guys from Columbus, Sinichi and Kiego from Cherubim, Chris Bishop, and Dario Pegaretti himself comes walking up to look at this bike. And I said, guess what tube set it is? And they're looking around and... Kiego says, Sinichi is impressed. What tube set? And I go, no, you got to look more. And they go, well, move your hands. I go, I ain't moving my hand. Then you're going to know what it is. And Dario looks at me and goes, you crazy motherfucker. <laughs> Why you do? Why you do this? I said, because he goes, hey, Mr. Peacock, you fucking crazy guy. And, you know, and he like throws his hands up and he turns around and he goes, this is crazy. And then uh, Kiego says, Sinichi says he's very impressed. I'm like, ooh, I'm a... I don't know if I can handle all this, you know, I'm going to have to go smoke a cigarette after this. <laughs> and, and then Dario does a beautiful thing and he points to the top tube and he goes, Hey, how are you bend? Cause you know, after he knew what it was, he knew what it was. And you know, he says to me, how, how are you bend? Like, well, Dario, that's just something you're going to have to figure out. <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes, you're fucking crazy. And he turns around and he goes, you fucking crazy, Mr. Peacock. And he points and he laughs and he goes, you fucking crazy. And he, and he, you know, he walks away and you know, these guys are like, wow, cool. I'll see you later. And, and I remember somebody coming up and go, dude, darn He just called you crazy. And I was like, yeah, kind of go away. You're ruining the moment for me. I'm trying to soak this in, you know, but he comes back to me later. And he's like, this is beautiful. This is so good. So when you think about it for a minute, I go from being reviled and hate mail to trying to offend, and I can't, to then making a bike the best bike I can for this person. I didn't care what other people thought about it. I heard the music in my head. I saw the light in her eyes when she got it. Mm -hmm. That's what was important. And, you know, it, it, it was crazy that, once again, these great people, these great builders, they knew what it was. 
Here, I'm going to insert a small snippet of my conversation with Norrin from just before the interview officially started, because it relates so closely to what he was just talking about. When I go to a bike show, and people like Sunichi, Kiego, mm-hmm. Dario, um, you know, all these greats, they come and they're like, we, we heard you're coming, we had to come and see you. You know, and I'm like, I'm setting up and I'm like, well, why don't you help by putting that bike up there? You know, they're like, <laughs> they're like, oh, really? And I'm like, yeah, fucking, it's not going to get up there by itself. But it's crazy <laughs> to get the admiration of the masters of the craft. And then you go home and you're in tears because you don't know how you're going to pay rent and you live with your sister. The admiration of my peers doesn't pay rent. And I'm like, dude, like, yo, I've got trophies that are, you know, quote unquote out of my league. And so as, as you, as you do this whole struggle and, and, effort and right and wrong and you're trying to battle depression and crippling anxiety you know it's terrible and and then you wake up one day and you see that dario pegaretti the one guy that came to you and shook your hand and said that he loves your work now he's fucking gone too you know it's like you know god damn it dude can you just stop universe that bike you know if i were to Point to any one bike that's ever been entered in the competitions at the show. I'd say that's the one that, you know, it got rolled in for the best theme bike award. And, you know, initially I was like, okay, Tartan. Yeah, there can be only one. Okay, fine. Whatever. And then after everything was said and done, Don was the person who started saying, well, no, it's this crazy Columbus tube set. You can't find it anymore. And it's this. And, you know, it's thin-walled, so it's really hard to do that curvature. And I'm like, why didn't anybody tell me this ahead of time? And so that bike, more than any other, is the reason why there's now the builder information sheet that we want submitted with every bike that we get, because we want to know the backstory. That bike had crazy amounts of backstory. And when you just look at it, Unless you really kind of know what you're looking at, you're going to go, oh, yeah, nice paint job. Yeah, see, and that, that to me explains more like why that bike didn't win. But to hear that changes were made because of what I do, I mean, I guess that's something. But, you well, know, it's because you weren't shown in the best possible light. You, you know, that bike didn't get all the credit uh, that it should. Um, oh, no, and, no. So, and that's why I say it's like, it's, it's funny to get the accommodations by the, I mean, I mean, fucking Dario Pegretti shook my hand over it, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, yo, not everybody gets that. That's that's pretty crazy. And so it's, like I said, you know, the, their accolades, while great and, you know, get me all bonered up, it doesn't pay the rent, it doesn't sell bikes, you know? Yeah. And we still make mundane things to get to the glorious things. I do. I do it every day. I still sweep my fucking floor, you know? Somebody has to. Right. It's me, you know? So that bike was... It was ridiculous to talk about her. I'm like, you know, um, yeah, I didn't, there wasn't a thing untouched. You know, I mean, the tube, like, the only thing that was untouched was, like, the down tube. Everything else was manipulated or changed or, like, the lugs, like, literally bending the top tube to get the lug sockets in the right angle to have the tube go in, like, and then cutting out a window to show that the top tube hit the head tube and the seat tube. That's Mm -hmm. cocky. You know what I mean? That was cocky. And they're like, no way. And I'm like, bitch, I got pictures of it before it was painted. Like, look, man, I don't need to impress them. I needed to impress Lauren, who bought the bike. She loves that bike. And I, and I, to this day, I'm still like, 
yeah, better than any dune bike, you know, cause like, how, would you, <laughs> how do you make a dune bike, like throw sand at it, you know, while it's getting painted and like smoke reefer and call it spice. Like, I don't know. So yep. I just felt like Highlander was too good. And the original Highlander movie, great movie. Nothing else was good about the series, but how do you encapsulate on a bicycle that feeling? And that's what I try and go for is that, when you want a scene bike, I have to take whatever that is and put it on a bike. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy. It's not easy. It's yeah. expensive too, by the way. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's the Highlander bike. I mean, I know that's a big, long winded thing, but you know, there could only be one. Yeah. And, and like, I can't make another one. Like I thought about doing a Kurgan bike and I was like, ah, uh, nah, he got killed. Can't, <laughs> Well, shit, there can be only one, you know? And so that's kind of like, it's funny and sad all at once. Thanks to my guest, Eric Noren of Peacock Groove, for joining me on The Pull. Next week, I will run the second part of our interview. He admits that while some of his bikes have been a bit controversial, he's mostly low-key. I'm a decent person. The only thing I do is I drive a car fast, you know? That's just awesome. To learn more about his work, you can visit peacockgroove.bike. There will be a link in our show notes at Red Kite Prayer. That's it for this episode of The Pull. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, I hope you'll leave the show a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your media. Finally, if you're not already listening to RKP's other podcast, The Paceline, co-hosted by Celine Yeager, a.k.a. The Fit Chick from Bicycling Magazine, I encourage you to give us a listen. Until next week. Have a great ride.